goes to a person who picks things up really quickly. And I thought to myself, how wonderful to be married to a person who, like, I think all of our uh, significant others believe that that's who they are. They are people that pick things up really quickly, but you are actually married to someone who has that in her name. That must be a, a profound responsibility every day, Brad. It is. And actually, I think uh, part of that translation also includes she picks things up evenly. And that really corresponds with her business because she picks plants. Um, you know, she's really knowledgeable in our traditional medicines and she's a knowledge keeper in essence. So and she's passing you, that on. Thank you. Are, so are you comfortable with with us asking you a little bit about her and her role and, and her business as we get into this? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you. Okay, Adam, I'm good. Okay. Welcome to Inside Roll with a Side of Pasta. I'm your co-host, Adam Pascal, along with Pete Lasagna. We're joined today by special guest, Brett Bucktooth. Our goal here is to really highlight and bring opportunity and accessibility to some of the incredible personalities, human beings, players, just people that are involved in the game that we've been lucky enough to get exposed to through this great game. And today joining us, uh, Brett Bucktooth is somebody that had a huge impact on me in just a tiny little short time that I've known him. Um, and I was just coming up with three words to kind of describe my short relationship with Brett. And they were leadership, friendship, and awareness. And Brett, I'd just like to say thank you for joining us. What's going on with you and how the game has impacted your life? Hi, Adam. Hi, Pete. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I really appreciate you extending the invite. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, for for those of us who have been involved in the game for a long time, uh, you and your family are very important parts of uh, what we have all experienced. So it's just great to, to be here live with you. And I wanted to just start by breaking down some some barriers a little bit, if you will. As Adam said, we try to approach this a little bit differently, uh, not just X's and O's, if you will. And I know from my long relationship with Adam, especially over the last few years, that your name has come up a lot when he has talked about him coming gradually and slowly back into the game uh, as he, you know, was and is in the process of recovering some from some really hard personal tragedy and trauma. And I actually am asking you, Adam, because um, I think it's a it's a really beautiful thing to share if, if you feel up to it, uh, to talk about some of the ways in which Brett came to your personal rescue in the last couple of years. Actually, it was the summer of 21. We were all at Lake Placid. Ryan Powell uh, had been nice enough to invite me up to coach with his club team. Um, I met Brett and his son. They were on staff that week and just kind of connected. Uh, I had asked, I had told Ryan that this was kind of the first thing that I would be doing since uh, my life kind of changed Christmas 2019. Uh, and I was a little nervous about being around some familiar faces and also some new faces. Um, and this was the first thing, you know, uh, that it was a big, really nerve wracking piece of my life. And through conversations with Brett, you know, lending him the kettlebell in the dorm one day to get a little workout in and just through the discussions of, you know, the game, at kind of, not on the field level, just kind of another level, another plane. Uh, 
he shared with me just the simple words that I've kind of lived by since then is that the game will give you what you need and, and not what you want. And, and I, and I've, it helped me bring a kind of a circle around my thoughts and who I needed to, and what I needed to thank uh, for getting me to that point after losing my family, you know, and, and it was just, I was stunned. Like, you know, in the old yearbook, they would have like a talks to the least, but says the most. And then I was just like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is an incredible human being. So Brad, <laughs> I, I hadn't shared that with you. That was, you know, one of two conversations I'm going to bring back as we go here, but, but it was just incredible, you know, and, and I don't know how to take it from there, but I wanted to share that. And it was just the, it helped me realize the game is, it's, it's, it's more than a game. Like it kind of solidified a path for me and, and stuff like that. And Brett, I, I'm just wandering now, but take over. You know, you, you say, uh, it's a, you, you were just touched on a path and my Oguahue name, my Haudenosaunee name uh, is Sohahis and it translates to his path is long. So, and, and I think in, in going and following that path and just allowing my lacrosse journey to allow me to meet fantastic people like yourself, and uh, now Pete for the first time. And, I, and I'm really thankful that, that our paths have crossed. And it it's just goes to show what this game can do uh, for the community, for individuals, and for the sport, right? So I, I, I think as long as you, we continue to carry our first teachings of the game, which is, uh, you know, you play with a good mind and you carry yourself with a good mind, you're, you're going to come across some amazing people and go on a fantastic journey. So... Uh, and again, I'm thankful that Ryan Paul invited us out to his uh, event, you know, and, and Ryan Paul is just an amazing person himself. So great family, the Paul family. And uh, anytime you're in their, their circles, uh, it's a blessing and you're going to have a great time, too. <laughs> They're great people. <laughs> well, it really is. And, and I, I hope I can say this without sounding uh cliched or trite but i'm not sure i have felt the presence of the healing of the medicine game uh quite as strongly as i did the first time that adam shared that story about you you giving him incredibly important wisdom at a really important time in his life um again it, it's easy for an old person that looks like me to talk about the medicine game, but boy, I have really, I have really felt the power of your medicine as Adam has experienced it. So thank you. Thank you for, for something that's going to stay with him forever. Appreciate that. It's a great acknowledgement. Uh, now I'm going to go a little main on you, uh, Brett, and we need to talk. I will leave this to Adam. We, we need to also talk about your phenomenal career as Adam said, as a player, but uh, part of your journey, I noticed, and I had forgotten this, quite honestly. I was a little ashamed of myself. I pride myself on remembering everything about every important recruit that I ever came across, uh, but that you uh, came to Bridgeton and uh, the, the wilds, and I mean the wilds of Maine. Uh, tell us a little bit about that decision, um, how, how you ended up choosing Bridgeton and uh, as much as you want to share about what that experience was like for you. It's about 45 minutes from where I live. Oh, wow. Okay. So you're in moose country. Yes. <laughs> Maple. No, I love Maine. 
And actually, you know, before coming on to the show, I almost put my Bridgeton Academy shirt on. It was a toss-up between that and Syracuse. So I got to go with Orange. Uh, as we know, my, my son's attending there in the fall. So a lot of pride and a lot of going back. But before Syracuse, there was Bridgeton. Um, now, Bridgeton Academy, I'm not sure if most folks know. It's an all-boy prep school. And uh, for Syracuse, it's eight hours away. So it's eight hours away from me, from my family, my, my home. Uh, and it's in the woods. One way in, kind of one way out sort of deal. You're there on a mission. And I'm really thankful that I was there and had a coach and Matt Nutley to guide me and kind of rein me in a bit. Um, I was there at Bridgeton Academy for one year, postgraduate school, to really mature as far as uh, the education side. The lacrosse side what was my forte. It, it came easier to me, right, and very talented. But uh, without the grades, without the books to back me up, you know, I wasn't really going to go many places as far as university was concerned. So before I attended Bridgeton Academy, my older brother, Drew, attended. And it really prepared him. It was a springboard for him to get to Syracuse University. And that's where I wanted to go. So, you know, like many, like many players, they have a role model. They have a, a beacon to follow. And my older brother was. Whether it was hockey, lacrosse, just being a great person. Uh, my brother Drew had it all. He is what an older brother should have been, and he was, and he still is today. Mm. Um, so I, I followed his path to British Academy. Um, still wasn't heavily recruited. I was getting a few letters, but I didn't get as much attention that I had hoped for from Syracuse University. Mm. And I wonder, and I never had this conversation with them, but I wonder if the hang-up was my academic background. It wasn't as strong as... Um, you know, some of my predecessors who may have not done so well at Syracuse themselves. So it was kind of like, am I under that umbrella as well? Mm. And I thought that was a challenge on myself to prove that I do belong, that I can hit the books. So, you know, with, with great sacrifice from my family to get me to Bridgeton, uh, I wanted to honor that commitment and do as best as I could to ensure I got myself in a position to attend Syracuse to be accepted. Hmm. And then once I was accepted, then things started to fall in place. And then I fell under their recruiting radar uh, as an incoming class, you know, along the lights of, um, you know, may he rest in peace, Brian Crockett, hmm. Greg Rommel, Kieran Murphy, John Gallagher, uh, John Wright, Andrew Sullivan. So that was, it was a really good class that went in there. Uh, and all because of my my hard work at Bridgeton Academy, my willingness to focus. And if you're not focusing in Bridgeton, Maine, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I so appreciate that. And amen. I think there's a lot of amens from every Bridgeton um, lacrosse alum that, that that's going to hear those words. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I I go back to one of the most important recruits that I ever got from there was a guy named David Evans, um, who's a little bit older than you are. I know Dave. And, and uh, I remember uh, a man by the name of Mike Fuller was uh, 
David's dorm master and lacrosse coach. And like you, uh, David had some work to do to get from the high school student that he was to being ready, not just to get in, right? That's not just a purpose, but to actually thrive in college. Yeah. So it wouldn't have been fun for you to get in and and then, you know, feel like you were behind it all the time. You you want to get the skills to thrive. And Mike Fuller promised us that he would uh that he would do help David do everything he needed to do. And God bless him, uh he did. So and I have nothing but great things to say on um Mr. Fuller. Uh my other brother Drew was in their last class that Coach Fuller had at Britain Academy. Oh. And so I was with Matt Nutley his first year. And, you know, my brother Drew had nothing but great things to say about Coach Fuller, got him in line, got him prepared on the field and off the field. Um, and so, uh, you know, Coach Fuller's name still is in the NEPSAC talks uh, because there is an award named after him in the New England Prep School. Uh, oh, really? The uh, Athletic Association. So, little story. My son is attending Wilbraham Munson Academy, which is just outside Springfield. Right. His coach, Mike McDonald, is a former teammate of mine at Syracuse University. Oh, wow. Yeah. And actually, Mike's mother was our Mike Academic Athletic Advisor at Syracuse. So going back to Mr. Fuller, he's got an award named after him for, I, th I think it's Coach of the Year for NEPSAC or Man of the Year, and Mike McDonald had won that award. So when I seen that award on the wall in Mike's office, I knew my son was in the right place because, like I said, things were just aligning. The paths were finding their way. And so for, for my son to be at WMA, being coached by my former teammate who had just won the Mike Fuller Award, and, you know, those types of feel-good moments just – ensure that you're in the right spot, my son's in the right spot, and, you know, I couldn't be more excited for his future. That is beautiful. What an amazing circle. Brett, could you talk a little bit about how you've deliberately tried to impact your son and his development and maturation through the game, not just through sending him to Wilbraham and Monson, but just like coaching him and, and being around him and, and the family atmosphere that you create? Oh, that's a, that's a deep question. <laughs> uh, well, I think when it comes to coaching, not just my son, uh, but any of the players I, I coach, I coach them all the same. Now, I might push my son a little extra. I, I do push him extra. It's not, it's not might. I do push him extra off the field, right? And so there's more to practice than just the two hours you get per day or at practice session. But He's constantly reminded about the values of lacrosse, the lessons it gives you, our cultural teachings. And he gets a lot a lot as well, or influence a lot, with, just within our community. You know, either from my brothers, his uncles, uh, my father, who also attended Syracuse University, and his great uncles. So there's a lot of culture and history when it comes to lacrosse in our community. And that's not lost on him. He, you know, he knows he is in a long line of Haudenosaunee lacrosse and athletes. So he's a humble kid and he carries that with great pride. Um, 
So when I talk to them about lacrosse, it goes beyond X's and O's. And it, it it's more, the teachings I try to give them is more based on character and who he is and how he carries himself off the field, right? There's, there's going to be a lot of moments where, or opportunities he might be given or opportunities that might be passed on from him because his, uh, it could be his lack of judgment or his great character. That's going to open more doors than being a good lacrosse player. So I, and I, I think that that's also part of our teachings and how to be as a person. And I want to make sure he's doing that on and off the field. Because as you know, lacrosse players, particularly someone with our background, you're going to be under a microscope wherever you go. They're, and they might say, hey, I, hey, I met Brett Bautith Jr. Hey, I seen him play. Or I seen him in the line at the concessions. You know, did he, did he open a door for some? You know, did he, uh, if somebody drops something, does he assist them? You know, so doing things like that to me are more important than just teachings on the field. Amen. Do you think that he feels or he has he talked to you about feeling what you just described as pressure? Um, again, you are. You are very, very, you're a very important player. Your family is a very important family. Uh, your people are the people that gave us this game. Um, so he's a young man, uh, just, just starting on the next chapter of his life. Do you think that he, has he talked about feeling it as pressure or does he feel it as an honor and, and, and privilege more than pressure? I think it's a bit of both, right? I, I, I think you want that pressure as an athlete, as a competitor. There's a little bit of challenge scope to that. But I, I think when you're 15, 16 years old and you're coming to your own as a young man, and particularly in today's environment with social media, I think there's a lot of pressure on a lot of kids. Mm. And then when, when you look at my son's case, where now all of a sudden... People are asking him about the career he's he's on the outlook to have because of my career, and I told him from the from the early on, like there's going to be comparisons to him and other family members, his teammates, to myself. And I says all you can do is just worry about yourself, as far as how you hold your character, and then let your play speak for itself. Um, being a team guy at first, be a team guy. And whenever his nerves got the better of him, I just said, hey, just let the game come to you. Because mm. when you're nervous and you try to make things happen, it's not good for him or the team. And so there's sometimes you got to let off the gas a little bit, let the game come to you, and just be part of the flow. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I, and I said that that happens in life. Sometimes you just got to take a step back, take a look around, and soak things up, and then go from there. So that was one of the techniques I just – shared with him on how to handle some of the pressure mm. you know and always open up be willing to talk you know he's got a great family as far as his support system his mom myself uh, his grandparents his uncles his aunts uh, even his little cousins so it really takes a lot in this day and age and I think for any anyone particularly of uh, someone from the the indigenous community, to get to the next level, you know, there's a lot of, there's, there are a lot of barriers, 
whether it's leaving your home, leaving the reservation, going to a prep school, and there's a whole other history with uh, indigenous peoples at boarding schools. So crossing that stigma and then making it into the, the national scene, particularly at a scene like Syracuse. So when you when you try to encompass all that and put it in a pressure cooker, you know, anything's going to happen. So we just try to take the little one day at a time. And again, with him, it was all in steps, right? Wake up, make your bed, go from there. <laughs> put your cleats on, hit the field, go from there. You know, so little things keep us all in check and we all need our anchors. And I, and I think... That's that's gonna be for him is finding his confidence. I know he appreciates how fortunate he is to have you and his mom and the support system that he has. That's exceptional. It's gonna be really, really fun to watch him go. Now that I'm just a lacrosse, a pure lacrosse fan, uh <laughs> I, I can root for him hard. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, Brett, you have lacrosse is oh, looking I'm a lot sorry. of fun again. Uh, particularly at Syracuse. They're playing that exciting brand of ball. Uh, and I and I think uh, Syracuse got stagnant the last few years. You know, the, I think it was their offensive system. They're just running downhill, trying to be a pure athlete and getting to the net. Now they're incorporating a little more pick and roll, a little more backside slips, more inside game. I know they have about four or five Canadians on their team. They have two players of uh, in, that are indigenous. So uh, I, I think when Brett steps on campus, he's going to feel a lot more comfortable with the box game, with with Coach Gate implementing his his knowledge and the hybrid game that he's evolved in. So, uh, you know, I, I'm just excited for uh, lacrosse and Syracuse lacrosse. Brett, that is a great segue. I really appreciate that because I just wanted to ask you, having played at the highest level, uh, box and field lacrosse, um, and always being asked to speak and represent on camera about some very important uh, issues in the game and issues that involve your community. Could you talk about some of those responsibilities? Or or not even responsibilities, those that honor. Yeah, it, it is a responsibility and it, and it is an honor. Uh, I, I, I'm thankful that growing up, you know, I was surrounded by good leaders. And you know, I always go back to my older brother, Drew. He's two years older than me. Uh, he was an all-world attackman for the U19s at 15 years old. And then again at 19. So seeing what he was able to do on the field and how he conducted himself and he could handle all that, that was a role model for me. Uh, and then... Also from our community, we have Orrin Lyons, and I and I know my father and Orrin Lyons were really close. So seeing three of the biggest role models in my lacrosse world step up and be leaders, speak uh, speak well in front of the camera, and and how they conducted themselves on general public, that really made it easier for me to to accept my role when I got there. So it's not like I, I went out out of the dark. I I guess you could say I was almost groomed for that th those moments if I were to accept those. And I, and I did because 
I think we all have a duty to portray the game and respect the game with class and respect, right? And who who better than that than Orrin Lyons when he comes to speak to your team at, when you're 15 years old, 19 years old? Then again, as a man, you only come to revere Orrin Lyons that much more and you soak up his knowledge and how he carries himself. And to have him as uh, the ambassador of, of our game, I I think you want to live up to that in some way. You may never live up to that or Lions, but you know, you have a role model in him and you want to make guys like Warren Lyon and everyone else in the organization and in the community proud. Adam, may I share an Orrin Lyons story? Yeah, of course. This is quite recent. So bear with me for a minute. I come home last Sunday from speaking at the Mass Youth Lacrosse Coaches Clinic. I had put as much time as you two would expect me to into preparing. I actually featured uh, a slide of Lyle Thompson. My, my, my theme was playing fast and teaching youth kids how to clear the ball before you do anything else. And I was darn near alone. Uh, eventually, a few people straggled in at in the, the three o'clock late in the afternoon hour. So I came home a little. I thought I had done a good job. I actually finished with a, with a slide of Oren. I'll get to that later on in a question to you. Uh, but I came home a little bit like ego wounded. And I guess some people have forgotten about me pretty darn quickly. And that was a little bit to, to deal with. But it was, you know, I felt I had done a good job and that's all I could do. And again, I don't want to get too dramatic here, but something guided me to an old issue of Inside Lacrosse magazine that I used to write and be in the back inside cover of Inside Lacrosse magazine for 22 years. And something guided me to an issue that I had not picked up for a really long time. And it was about when Oren Lyons in 2014 visited Bates College. And he was brought there by the history department Right. And 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 probably environmental sciences that talk about all his work, um, not just representing indigenous people worldwide, but uh, climate work and, and everything that that Oren does. But what Oren really wanted to do the night that he had his big keynote speaking time was to walk over on the stage after somebody from the history department gave him a wonderful introduction. He walked over to where. The men's, the students that played men's lacrosse at Bates, who were told to get there before everybody else and sit in the first three rows. And he walked over right to where we were and just started talking about lacrosse and started talking about the origin stories of the game. And my assistant, Billy Mason at the time, next to me, turned to me at some point and said, I feel like I'm having an out of body experience right now listening to Oren Lyons talk to us about what the game means to him. And he shared a story about that you may well have heard about the difference between how a cow approaches an oncoming storm and how a buffalo approaches an oncoming storm. That ended up getting on to a T-shirt for us. Yeah. He, stood out, he stood out on the field with us, mostly with me on just a freezing uh, uh, you can remember how cold it is in uh not just where you live but where i live in february 
and he stood out on the field just trying to encourage me and encourage our guys. We ate moose meat together with him that had been harvested in Maine on his birthday the next day. I mean, and I tell you, both of you, if I ever needed to be reminded of this experience and that what I consider one of the most precious 48 hours of my life, it was this past Sunday. So there's my, 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 as close as I got to Oren. And I, I tried to say it to my guys and you know how college students are. I tried to tell them like, do you understand? This is like, you know, I don't know what the best example would be, you know, a, a, somebody who's in the church inviting Jesus to practice. Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what I tried to convince them that that's what it was. But uh, so yes, there's, there's, there's my orange story and story. And boy, did that good medicine come back and help me last week when I needed it. One of the uh, best quotes I love from Oren, and I appreciate that story because Oren is uplifting in any way, whether it's through his humor, his speech, he could even give you a little kick in the ass and you're still inspired from it. <laughs> yep. But uh, I'm not sure if you've been in the, the U.S. lacrosse headquarters and on the locker room wall, there's a quote painted from Oren Lyons. So I think that's pretty significant. Inside the USA men's lacrosse locker room, there's a quote from Oren Lyons painted on the wall. I did not know that. And it says, uh, there's two times a year that gets the blood boiling. One is in a fall for the hunt, and the other is in the spring when lacrosse rolls in. And, you know, th there's no greater truth than that. And if you don't get jacked up and excited for going out on a hunt or be right before the lacrosse game, there's something wrong. So... And that, that's just another Orange Lions quote that I love. Thank you. Brett, with all the success you've had, and let's just kind of go into Brett the player a little bit. What was your – where did where did you have the most fun? Like, what was your favorite form or shape of the game? When did you, like, have the most fun in your life playing the game? Well, you know – I, I think we're, with our mentality and uh, the way I grew up, you know, you appreciate every time you step on the field. So I, I'll say this. I remember the first time I stepped on the dome floor as a, as a student athlete. You know, I remember my first goal with the Buffalo Bandits in the MLL. That was with the MLL. And my first goal, my son was there. And he would have been one years old, not even one years old yet, but he was at the game when I scored my first goal as an MLL player at, at BU. So I remember moments like that, um, you know, winning my first national championship with St. Catharines, uh, the Minto Cup, the Junior A championship. That's equivalent to the NCAA Division One, because you only get four years to win it. Hmm. And then winning at Syracuse, uh, my senior year at Syracuse was very memorable. The, the four forgot the four years I was there. Uh, my son was born that year, and we had just missed the Final Four. We had I was part of the team that broke the twenty-two final year streak. Mm. That was my junior year, mm. and I think we came back. We we started off the year one and four. My senior year, and it's like, oh man, Syracuse dynasty is over. Uh, you know, and I thought it would have been kind of cool to get the boys going. So I put, cut my hair into a, a mohawk 
trying to fire up the boys and we were playing Johns Hopkins. So enough rivalry was happening. Um, and so that didn't happen. I says, well, boys, when change got to be made, change got to be made. So I shaved my head, new beginnings, and we rolled off like a seven-game winning streak, got into back into the final four. And so I remember that whole year being very memorable, from my son being born, coming back, leading our team to a final four. I'll always hold that year very memorable. Uh, you know, one of my highlights. I don't, I don't talk about it much, and it's being named All World at the twenty six World Games. So that that was a great year. I, I believe, you know, Casey Powell, Ryan Powell, Mike Powell were playing. Kyle Harrison. You also had Jeff Snyder from Team Canada, Brody Merrill, John Grant Jr., Gary Gate. So. To be named all world among that crew during that tournament was amazing. Right. And then uh also on the field, but happened off the field, uh, more of a political stance was in 2010 when the, the Iroquois Nationals didn't play in the didn't participate in the World Games in England. We never traveled to there, right? Because there was a passport issue and we were being offered passports from Canada uh and US, separate visas, and we held their ground. Uh behind the leadership of Orrin Lyons and made it make it a political stand that even though we can't travel and participate in the world games, it was more about our sovereignty as who we are as people. And I think that was a landmark uh, event. And I'm very proud of that moment as well as a player standing up for who we are, not just as a team, but as a people, indigenous peoples all across uh, Turtle Island. Um, you know, and I think that's for all indigenous peoples and, and all folks, Standing in struggle, um, standing up for what you believe in and who you are and who your what your identity is. No, it's, it's those, really, those are some moments. Thank you. It's really. I'm sorry, Adam. Did you want to follow up? No, no, that was great. It was great. Is great. So I a little bit can't believe that it's 2024, and I'm going to ask you this question, Brett. But it's 2024, and you've just given me a perfect lead into this question. Because it seems to me, and I'm I'm asking you because you no doubt know a lot better than I do, that we are having a similar conversation to the 2010 conversation around the exciting news that uh, this new form, new in quotes, form of lacrosse uh, sixes is going to be an exhibition sport or whatever they're calling it in, in the Olympics uh, the next time out or, or two, two games from now, whenever it is but that those same issues around sovereignty and whose passport the Haudenosaunee travel on, that those same issues are coming up again. Am I, am I wrong about that? Or, or, or is, is that same conversation happening again? So as far as the, the travel, I, I think we're a little bit lucky in a sense that it's going to be held in LA for the Olympics. So we don't have to worry about passports. However, it's now when going off our 2010 stand, I think it builds momentum and it created awareness. That's the biggest thing we took from it, which was it created awareness. How are the originators of the game not allowed to participate in the world games? So now here we are again. And as we as we try to have inclusion. Uh, for the Iroquois Nationals or Hodenosaunee Nationals at uh, the World Games and the Olympics, 
Now it goes up to a higher level, right? It goes up to the UN. Are we recognized globally as a sovereign nation and can we play under our own flag? So the stakes got higher, the stand gets more pronounced, and I think it's going to be different this time around because now we have support from the U.S. lacrosse body and the the Canadian lacrosse body. They have our we have their support, and you know it was about a month ago President Biden even expressed his support for the Haudenosaunee Nationals to be playing. Uh, so I I think that global awareness is increasing, and I think we have a great shot at being included. And really, it, it's about more than just a game. We always talk about a lot of lacrosse is more than just a game. And this is one of those aspects where it's going to be a, a big victory for, for everyone, right? The acknowledgement, the sovereignty, um, the doing right for, uh, for everyone. And just moving on past those, uh, you could say, broken down treaties, right? So... Now, now it becomes a, an international event for sovereignty. That's beautiful. I'm glad we have enough time to sort those things out. Are there things that you think that the larger lacrosse community can do in terms of advocating for the Haudenosaunee to make sure that the people who originated this game and gave it to the rest of us are included? I think the biggest thing is, is the awareness. And I believe that the ambassadors of the game are doing the right thing. Okay. Uh, you know, we were we were on the outside looking in for the last World Games. Uh, team Ireland stepped down so that your Haudenosaunee team could step in. And that itself made huge waves in the lacrosse community. And now it's a political, political uh, awareness. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I believe everyone in the lacrosse world is doing the right thing. You, we have the right right folks in place who are willing to maybe stick their necks out a little bit to ensure we we have a, a seat at the table. And uh, we couldn't ask for anything more than just everyone's support. Great. Thank you very much. I'm glad. Brett, as we get a little bit more back, focused on you a little bit, could you, could you answer the question that you pronounced so loudly in my life? What has this game given to you? <laughs> the game's given me some, the, the game's given me opportunity and friendships, family, love, support. Uh, and and I, I think I never asked for all of that, but the game has provided me all these resources. And and I think it goes back to just being a good person. First, if if I wasn't brought up to have a to have a, a good mind, although it's not perfect, uh, and to play the game with a good mind and represent myself the best way that I can, the, the doors have opened. So, and, and I'm very thankful for the, the relationships I've, I've, uh, I've accepted um, on the field, off the field, and it goes beyond the locker room. It goes beyond the arena. It goes beyond the field. It goes into life relationships, career relationships. And these opportunities just keep coming full circle. And I think we do the best that we can as ambassadors to ensure the game keeps improving, the awareness of uh, 
any setbacks the game has might have experienced to learn from that, to grow from that, and to hand off the game and share the game to to new perspectives and to uh, the next generation to ensure the game is carried on. And I, I think we have current leaders like Lyle Thompson and Cody Jamison um, doing a great job. So, Brett, you, you mentioned a little while ago, well, you've talked a lot poignantly about really important mentors in your life, a lot of them, starting with your older brother. But you had also mentioned when we first started about uh, coaching, Adam asked you about coaching your son, but you also mentioned about coaching other kids. Are you currently, do you as a regular part of your life, um, coach slash uh, mentor young lacrosse players? Well, when, when it comes to mentoring, the door is always open. There's uh, there's no timetable on that. So anytime a player, an adult, a coach, a colleague reach out to me for advice or just to talk lacrosse, I'm pretty open when it comes to that. So and I think we all should be with our experiences and our education in lacrosse to pass on what we have because that just enriches the game. Now, as far as coaching, last summer I coached uh, – a local team from the Onondaga Nation called the Onondaga Junior B Red Hawks. That age classification is from 16 to 21. Mm -hmm. And that is the our league co competes with other other uh, athletes from primarily Native communities in the league we're in. And when we compete for that league and go for the championship and we win, then we go on to the National Junior B Championship, which is called the Founders Cup. And for for a community of the Onondaga Nation, where our total population is probably under 2,000, now you shrink that down to eligible mm. lacrosse players ages 16 to 21 who also played at a high level, uh, that number gets very small. So it's almost like we take whatever players are able to sign up. And then we we've coached them all the way through. Um, we do have a we do have several players from outside the reservation. They're in there, they're always invited, they're always included. You know, we had players from Oswego College, Canisius, uh, Brockport, Cortland State, Albany, and OCC, which is great. We 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 always need additional support, especially at the highest level. Um, and I'm and these minds, ages 16 to 21. You had a wide range of uh, characters, as you would. And it's the same age as college kids. So for some, you become an uncle. You become a, a father figure. Some of them may not have had. So you become more than just a coach. You become a become a life figure for some of them. And so I think it's our our role as coaches, as you know, is vital to, uh, to molding a lot of these young players for life on the field and off the field particularly off the field, because you want them to graduate from your program to be successful. Thank you very much. That's great. They're lucky to have you. And I bet they're fun to watch. <laughs> These kids are characters, and I love them. I love them. They're great. So, um, yeah, I, anytime I, I have an opportunity to coach, I, I try to if it fits in the schedule. And, you know, at the same time, coaches got to have hobbies, too. <laughs> so I do enjoy fishing, particularly uh, ice fishing, 
this time of year up in the river. I'm actually supposed to go rip fishing this afternoon. Um, and then you know, I'm not much a golfer, but I'll golf for work events and hunting, fishing, you know, family time. Got to make time for family. So without them, uh, none of this makes sense. Correct. Brett, we really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your perspective. You know, ever since we met a few years ago, you know, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you was just a story was we were coaching on a field and we were running this drill and, and I was just being too much of a structure control freak. And you just like simply and confidently came up to you like, no, we got to do it this way. This is why we got to let the kids play a little bit more. How would you, and would you be able to coach yourself? Uh, so Adam, I'm a victim of that as well. I get too wrapped up in the, the tunnel of getting things done right. Cause it should be done right with discipline and structure. And then I, I guess I see both sides because that's how I was raised. And so I had always wanted to have more fun and as a player and as a coach. So I get caught up in having too much fun and I get caught up in being too structured. So it's a good balance. Uh, would I be able to coach myself? It's, I remember one of my uncles saying he couldn't coach me. <laughs> Not that I was uncoachable, but, you know, there are just times I wanted to try to take the game in control in my own hands. So I believe there are players like that where you have to let them go and take control in big moments. And I believe there's times those types of players who can be a little stubborn where they need more structure and discipline. And I believe that would be tough for me. But, you know, in, in this day and age, I think kids need more structure and discipline on the field. And, you know, my, my dad, who was a coach for many years, uh, certainly instilled that, that hard-nosed, tough discipline and respect. And so I, I believe every player should have that uh, as, part of the, as part of their tutelage. But, uh, no, being coached by an elder, by your father and your uncle's, was an amazing experience and I wouldn't uh I wouldn't have been the player I was without their coaching tutelage. I think the right the thing that we all learn if you do this for any extended period of time and maybe it's a function of age. I know that for me I wanted as much control. I also was maybe deluded in thinking that the more control I had, the better players I would help create when actually my experience has been that some control certainly helps many of them, but letting them experiment and finding out on their own without me stopping practice every five seconds to correct them probably allows them to, to grow at a little bit more rapid rate. Uh, I want to take a little bit of a turn here as we head into the last segments or so. Uh, and again, for the three of us, there is no life after lacrosse, right? Our <laughs> lacrosse is in our lives clearly every day. But we also, as you said, need to have ho hobbies. And, and also, uh, some of us also need to have jobs. Not so much me anymore. Uh, but you have a really interesting job that I read a little bit about. And uh, specifically, not just regionally where you are, but what you do in terms of uh, diversity and, and also 
diversity in your business in a minority owned business. Uh, again, I, I think that's really interesting. Part of our goal here as we've tried to express and hopefully tried to achieve today is not to just uh, talk about this game that we love, but 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 talk about how people that we love in this game are at life. So can you just talk a little bit about uh, about what you do and 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 why you why you decided to do it? It sounds really interesting to me. Sure. Uh, great question. And uh, so for those who don't know, I work in a native owned company. Uh, the owner is from the Cayuga Nation named Frank Bonamy. He started a pallet manufacturing company. Uh, pallets, we say, pallets move the world. You know, from your, your cell phones, your coffee mugs, your your car batteries, your toothpaste, deodorant, sneakers, you name it, everything moves on pallets, right? So we are very crucial to the supply chain. Uh, and it's a lot of fun because it's something I never thought or even dreamed of doing growing up. Like who just says, I'm going to work for a pallet manufacturer, you know? But at, at its core, uh, it's it's the most basic unit transfer of wood and nails and a hammer, yeah. right? And yet they're so crucial. And to be able to translate that to everyone. And mind you, just a, a kid from the reservation, uh, working hard, being offered opportunity. And now I'm in a position where I'm speaking with folks from Nike, Johnson & Johnson, uh, Coca-Cola, uh, Two days ago, I had a meeting with Estee Lauder. Um, and so, and and I people want to do business with people that are genuine and that care and do the right thing, not just for themselves, but for their family and by extension of their family, their company, right? So I think uh, these opportunities came through lacrosse, being a good person. And the, the job that I have, I'm thankful that I still get to tie in inclusiveness, uh, just how the sport of lacrosse is, that's how this job is, where you want to be inclusive to all of our suppliers, uh, other pellet manufacturers. You know, I, I reach out to women-owned businesses, Hispanic-owned, Asian-American-owned, veteran-owned, disabled-owned, um, asking them to be part of our supply chain if they want to be part of the business that provides pellet shipping platforms to the likes of Coca-Cola. They can say, I help you receive your Coca-Cola at the end of the day. Uh, your ketchup bottle was on our pallets, right? So, I mean, those are the things you take pride in. Like like uh, a lot of folks in my family are, are tradesmen. They're linemen. They put up that line pole so we could have electricity. Uh, uncles of mine were iron workers. They helped build uh, New York City skyscrapers, Philadelphia, uh, all over the country. So it's a, it's a different trade within their supply chain that I can take pride in. And I certainly do. That is Brett. I I'm right now regretting that I no longer have the back inside cover of inside lacrosse magazine because boy, what I, that's really interesting. It is as cool and interesting as I thought it might be. Thank you. And I will tell you as a man who lives in Maine and burns many cor cords of wood every winter, now more than ever, because my wife and I are both retired and we're home all the time. And that has an unbelievable impact on how much wood we burn because that woman wants a fire in that stove every single day. Uh, 
I'm I'm that guy who tries not to get on, you know, Home Depot security cameras as I drive in there late at night to grab pallets and yeah. throw them into the back of my uh, car <laughs> so, that, so that I can throw my my wood on it. Um, I, I just wanted to, to ask you one more for me, and and then I will I will give space. Uh, but I I am interested to hear a little bit about um, your wife's work and um, if she considers herself uh, a, a a healer. Um, in your community, I, I just she sounds like a really interesting person, and and I'd love to hear a little bit about about who she is and what she does. Oh, you know, I'm trying to describe my wife and her professional career as very. She's very diverse when it comes to her knowledge. First off, she's a wonderful mother, wonderful wife. Keeps us together, and she applies that same love and passion in her work. So she speaks the language. She's fluent in Mohawk language in her home of Akwesasne. You know, she attended a program called Akwesasne Cultural Restoration. And what it did was it combined cultural knowledge and language into four different you could say departments. One was hunting and fishing. One was agricultural. One was a uh, river and waterways safety and navigating. And the other was uh, plants and medicines. And so she took up the plants and medicines and, you know, she already has knowledge on the medicines, but this took her to a deeper dive into how to procure certain medicines year round. You know, so for instance, I learned, the best time to pick roots is in the fall because in the fall, everything regenerates back down into the ground for preservation. So that's where you're going to find most of the nutrients. And in the spring, when the flowers are budding and life is blooming, where's all the nutrients going back out into the flower, right? So just little things like that, where she's very knowledgeable and so simple and she's very in tune with the land. Uh, so she, she runs her own business. She, provides teas, uh, salves, medicines for folks, like whether it be topical for like skin creams, skin care, eczema, rashes, cuts, burns. Uh, she also provides uh, teas and tinctures and uh, like she, she makes her own elderberry cough drops. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So working from the inside out, uh, she'll do medicines for teas on for specific woman's needs. Um, healing the bones, your digestive system, your immunity, the liver specifically. Uh, and a lot of these teas, she'll grow the the ingredients in her backyard, the hibiscus, the uh, calendula. And now she, she shared her knowledge with me, so I'm, I, I'm a bonehead when it comes to it. But So a lot of that comes from our own backyard, or she goes picking at the, the foothills. Or in the river, she goes picking. And she's also does contract work for uh, a river restoration group. So she's brought insight to them where a lot of the, the river pollution has affected the medicines and the plants, not just the aquatic life, not just just the fish and all the uh, everything else that's surviving. But along the shorelines, she shared her knowledge on, well, if the waters are affecting the plants in the shoreline, we have language and ceremonies and 
words specific to the Mohawk language for those plants. Now, if those plants are destroyed or we have no longer have access to them, we no longer can use them for medicines, we're losing language. We're losing part of our culture and um, those ceremonies. So when she brought that to light, they're like, wow, this woman is very knowledgeable. She has deeper insight than just picking a plant and trying to sell it. She, she cares about the seven generations. The seven generation philosophy is providing for our children and the children's children. So she's very mindful and very knowledgeable of, uh, of all things living. Wow. She sounds like an extraordinary woman. Your, your children are lucky. <laughs> I'm very lucky. And you I think we all are. She, she serves the greater community. Yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, we're, we're all lucky to have her. As we start to wind down here, I'm kind of thinking back onto the three words that I tried to use when I was trying to think of Brett at the beginning of the show. And those were leadership, friendship, and awareness. And I think over the last hour, those have been demonstrated. So I personally feel really good. So thanks for that, Brett. But just want to say thank you for sharing. You know, the impact, the perspective, just the incredible, you know, the confidence and the want to follow you. You know, like I, I was going to ask you about your daughter. What was the la What's her favorite thing to eat? Because I follow you on Instagram. Like, I just love the family, the leadership, the confidence. And I just wanted to say thank you to you, Brett, for coming and joining and being a part of this. You know, it means a lot. And I know it means a lot to Pete. And we're just trying to, once again, not a lot of X's and O's, but like who, what, when, why, and how did you become just a, the incredible human that you are right now? So I just want to say thank you to you, Brett. Thank you, Adam. And thank you, Pete. Pete, uh, I love the X's and O's. I, I love playing. I love competing. I love the friendships, the travel, the ex life experiences. And, uh, you know, as I'm no longer playing, I'm thankful to, uh, still be involved. And I appreciate you inviting me to be on, uh, to still feel a little relevant, <laughs> but now no, it's, it's great as a, as a parent, as a coach, as an ambassador to watch the next generation, yeah. you know, and the, the younger players carry on the ways of, of our teachings and how the game should be played and continues to evolve. So, uh, the game's in good hands and I'm looking forward to, uh, more, con more continued conversation with fellow ambassadors like you and Pete and uh, I look forward to the next time our, our paths cross again. I'm sure they will. Well, I'm Adam Pascal and this has been Inside Roll. And I am Peter Lasagna with a side of pasta. <laughs> Thank you, you like gentlemen. That? Thank you. So Thank you. Much, what a pleasure, man. <laughs>